Well, good morning, Berean family. It's great to have everybody joining us this morning online. And uh, we're just going to go into a time of worship. So if you are in your home right now, we encourage you just to stand and just to, just to help us enter in God's presence. And uh, just excited for what God is doing in our church and uh, throughout uh, your homes. Just the testimonies that have been coming in, it's just been amazing. So let's just take this time as we just worship the great I am to give him all the honor and all the glory this morning. Amen. Amen. Oh, 
right now, just sing that right in there. Sing, let your glory fall. Let your glory fall. Let your glory fall. All the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, come like the thankful for your presence, Father. Lord, in your presence, we find fullness of joy. In your presence, Lord, we find peace. Lord, we find you, God. Holy Spirit, you 
sing all the earth. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Sing it out.
feet of my Jesus. On the feet of my Jesus, Lord, I pour out my praise. I pour out everything that's within me, oh God. Lord, I pray that our worship to you has been a sweet sound in your ear this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come together to give you honor, to give you praise, and to thank you for all that you've done and for all that you're going to do, oh God, and all that you're continuing to do. Jesus, we just thank you right now. Come on, right now in your living room or in your car, wherever you're watching this, just thank him. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful, oh God, that even through the storms that you are faithful. Lord, that even through the rain, oh God, that you are still God and God alone. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. And all these things we say and do. And God, I pray right now that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Turn on next to you. Give them a high five or a fist bump. Make sure that you comment. Leave some hearts, some likes, some thumbs up. Because God is working and he's doing some great things. Amen. Amen. Pastor Justin. Good morning, Berean Church. We are so glad you are online with us this morning. Hey, this is your moment to connect with us. Let us know you're here. Give us a thumbs up and comment. If you are new here joining us for the first time today, that is awesome. We, uh, you can connect better with us by going to our website, to bereanhub.com, and there you'll see a, an icon there that says Connect Card, and you can fill that out and uh, let us know that you're here today and how you enjoy today's service. If you have any needs or a cool God story on the same website, bereanhub.com, you can fill that out. Let us know what's happening in your life. We want to connect with you. Hey, just want to take a moment right now and just say thank you to our faithful church members for giving and uh, your support and all of that. If you have been struggling to give or still have questions of how you can give to Berean Church, that's easy. There's four simple ways that you can do that. One is you can mail it to us. Number two is you can drop by um, and drop it in our drop box on the north end of the building, or you can bring it into the office during our normal business hours. You can go to our website right now and click on the Give card and fill that out. And you can also even pull out your mobile device, which I'm sure you have on you, and text 84321, the dollar amount, space, and then Berean. And it's just that simple. It's an easy way for you to give. We're working really hard to uh, provide for your spiritual needs. And so if there's any questions that you may have had that we haven't answered this morning, just go to our website at bereanhub.com, and you can see on the lower right-hand corner a chat icon. Fill that out, message us, and let us know what's happening, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So right now, before we get ready to give or while we're giving, we just want to say again, we're so glad that you're here online with us this morning. Check out this video.
Well, again, as I've said the last few weeks, I'm so looking forward to when we can all gather together again. And so right now, we've been doing a virtual hug on our Wednesday night Bible study. So would you just stand, look around the room, look at your television, and I'll just be able to feel the vibes and put your arms out and give a big virtual hug to Brian. Glad you're with us this morning. We're going to continue our series this morning on the challenge of the resurrection. The first week of the challenge was the resurrection story itself. Now that's 58 verses of material that we covered. Pastor Matthew kind of uh, let me know later he was freaking out a little bit when he saw that we're going to do 58 verses. And then on that, I think it was the second point, he saw 10 subpoints. And he almost lost all hope <laughs> that we'd be done before next week. Well, this week we're going to settle down into a single verse, Matthew chapter 28, verse 5. You can open your Bible, follow along there. We're just going to sit in there for a while. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes our faith different than any other faith. It's different than what any other religion believes because we believe in a God who came to earth as man died and then rose from the dead it's central to all that we believe and so when we talk about the resurrection it becomes the basis of our faith the challenge is to make sure that our christian faith rests in the resurrection but that then demands some things it demands some things from us and there are some challenges that i think matthew 28 gives to us now at the end of chapter 28 we have what's been called the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And as it's in that text at the end of chapter 28, I think that the beginning of chapter 28 gives us a paradigm that we'll explore over the next three weeks as to how we should behave, how we should conduct ourselves, what that really means, what that looks like. And so when we come to the beginning of the chapter, here's what I want you to look at. What did the angel first say to Mary and the other Mary? He didn't say to them, believe. He didn't say to them, go tell. There is something else that he said to them first that I think becomes primary for what we need to wrap our hearts and minds around. Before anything else, he said, do not be afraid. That's the direction that he was given, given to them by the angel. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to understand something about how we got here today. If I were to have said to you, I believe that yesterday God gave me a message for the church today on not being afraid, you'd say, well, that's obvious. But this plan began about nine weeks ago when we we're talking about what we do leading up to the resurrection and what we would do following that. And so God intended for this word to come to our congregation this Sunday, nine weeks ago. God always has a plan ahead. And I want you to understand that. I'm not preaching to the coronavirus crowd. I'm preaching to us before, during, and after the whole coronavirus experience that we would understand the impact of what's happening with the phrase, do not fear. And I think that there's a paradigm here in chapter 28 verse 5 and how to not be afraid listen to what the word of God says the angel said to the woman do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified now that seems like a pretty simple directive statement but 
in there, I feel like God opened my heart to a model that will help us live in faith, not live in fear. Number one, you need to learn how to reject negative pressure. How to reject negative pressure. Do not be afraid. It's a command. It's a directive. Do not be afraid. They'd come to the tomb to see what had happened. They came there to experience um, what, whatever there was there to experience. They came to see Jesus. They come to the tomb. They see the stone rolled away, and they see the angel and, and are immediately overcome with fear. And it would obviously have been a fearful moment, a fearful sight, because the guards that were left there to guard against our, the removal of the body of Jesus, the Bible says, shook like dead men and were paralyzed by fear. So I'm not suggesting to you that fear was not something that should happen. I'm not suggesting to you that being afraid is an abnormal human experience. I am saying to you that something happens when we're afraid that can move us off of our place of faith and put us in a place where we don't, we don't actually evaluate things the way that we really should evaluate them. And in the world that we're living in right now, what is our world in the U.S. motivated by today? It's motivated by fear. It's, it's encumbered with fear. What causes people to hoard and behave in some of the ways that they're behaving? There are two things. One is fear, or if they cast it all off, the other crowd who acts as though nothing is going on, then they're acting from a platform of presumption rather than a platform of faith. Both of those extremes are wrong. Uh, my wife was at a, at a store this past week gathering up some essential items. It was an essential uh, activity. Food is essential at our house. Hold up your hand right where you're sitting. Food's essential at your house. Food's essential. I consider that a primary activity. And she said she went by the meat counter, and as she went by the meat counter, there was a lady there with her shopping cart grabbing meat out of the meat counter and just throwing it into her cart, just filling it up with meat, not even looking at what she was buying or how she might prepare it, just throwing it all in. What causes someone to do that? Someone looks at circumstances, and they see plants that are closing they hear the reports on the news and then fear grips their heart and we're all going to starve to death I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you don't point at anyone in your room right now or anyone in this room appreciate the staff being here we're practicing social distancing and, and, uh, and they're here praying for you and believing for this service but I've not seen a lot of Americans who look like they're on the verge of starving to death I've not think we're going to be all right think we're going to be all right but fear causes us to behave in ways that are not are not based on faith and really are counterproductive to the well-being of others so I want you to think about they come up to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and there's fear that grips them and they don't know how to respond they don't know what to do when fear grabs you, it causes you to behave in ways that are not faith-driven, that are not, not faith-based, and we do things that we ought not really do. Here's what faith will do, or fear will do. It will keep you from seeing with the eyes of faith. It colors what you see. 
it can keep you from seeing at all and you'll not be able to see the truth. So they see a, they see a situation, watch this, they see a situation where the stones rolled away, the angel is there, what's happened, where is Jesus? When in reality, if they had eyes of faith at that very moment, they would have seen that the stone was rolled away, that there was a resurrection to be entered into and to be experienced, but they missed that, why? Because they had eyes that were filled with fear. And the angel said, do not be afraid. Fear has torment. I don't care who you are. Fear has torment. Listen to what 1 John 4, 18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear causes pain. Fear torments the mind. Fear has physiological reactions in our body and I don't know how (laughs) I I shouldn't tell this I shouldn't tell this so I'm going to ask all of you that are here and all of you that are watching online to please not tell this story but my my mother-in-law is desperately sorry if I tell this I don't remember if it is I probably shouldn't tell this but she's deathly afraid of bugs and I had caught a fly big fly holding it by the wings and it's kicking its feet in the air and she behaved in a fashion I don't normally see her behave yelling waving her arms kicking her feet get that away from me how many of you behave in ways that are not normal when you're afraid let me see your hands let me see your hands out there raise them up we behave in ways that are crazy we do silly things and there's an immediate reaction some run some fight some freeze but it's a reaction that's not based upon how you would behave in a normal context. I've heard people say that something happened and they were scared to death. Now, I've I've never met anyone that was scared to death because they'd be dead, right? If you were scared to death, you'd be dead. So I've not met anyone that's been scared to death, but the reality is it is physiologically possible for you to be so frightened that your heart stops for no other reason, you can die of fright. Consider the case of a 60-year-old woman. She'd gone with her husband to the doctor, got terrible news about his health. As she and her husband left the doctor's office, a tightness suddenly gripped her chest and she wasn't able to breathe. She was standing right outside the office of cardiologist Dr. Holly Anderson when it happened. She says, after I'd whisked her off to the emergency room and hooked her up to an EKG, watch, I was surprised to see that her whole heart had stopped moving. Yet she had perfect blood supply to the heart. Pause there, what does that mean? It means there was no blockage, there was no stroke, there was no physiological reason for her heart to stop moving. Now, Anderson is Director of Education and Outreach at Perlman Heart Institute in New York, Um, Presbyterian Hospital, Wheel Council, uh, Cornell Medical Center in New York City. So this is a woman who knows that field. And she drew this conclusion. She was so emotionally overwhelmed about her husband's condition that it literally stopped her heart. So yes, it is true. It is possible. There are accounts when people have been literally scared to death. The impact of chronic fear is measurable and demonstrable in the world that we live in. And let me just give you a little bit of understanding why this is so important. We have people today in our city, in our neighborhoods, across the United States, 
that are living in chronic fear because of what's happening in our world today. What will it do? It will affect your physical health. Fear weakens our immune system, can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems such as ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome, and decreased fertility. It can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death. Fear in, a, in an overarching culture of fear, chronic fear affects memory. It can impair the formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. This can make it even more difficult to regulate fear and leave a person anxious most of the time. So it becomes a cycle. Living in a chronic culture of fear can cause you to create a response in your brain that, that affirms that and keeps you living in that situation. Brain process and reactivity. Fear can interrupt the process of our brains and allow us to regulate emotions, those that allow us to regulate emotions, verbal cues and other information presented to us, reflect before acting and act ethically. It affects all of that. This impacts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulsive emotions. All these um, can leave us unable to act appropriately and last mental health. The consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, and PTSD or PTSS as it's called. What I want you to see is this is not a little deal we're talking about. That when you and I are living in fear, when you're living in chronic fear and you let it dominate your life, everything about you is negatively impacted. And this first word from the angel, if they're going to move forward in the power of the resurrection, was to not be afraid. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 56, verse 3. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Now, here's what I appreciate about Psalm 53. It doesn't say you can't be afraid. How many of you have been afraid? We all have been afraid. When you're afraid, what should we do at that moment? Trust in God. The very next verse says, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? So there's a tension in those two verses where the psalmist says basically this. When I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And if I trust in the Lord, I will not be afraid. Right in your living room, somebody say amen right now. That will help us. When I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. When I trust in the Lord, I will not be afraid. The issue with dealing with fear now or at any time in our existence on earth is putting our trust and confidence in God. Isaiah 12, 2 says it this way, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Trust becomes the, the platform that we can deal with fear. Now, there's an old book probably. I'm going to ask any of the staff. This is book report time on uh, staff that's here uh, today. Have any of you read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, you have? Well, good. Pilgrim's Progress. Wonderful allegory. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, I'd encourage you while you're in quarantine or isolation or sheltering, that order the book, read it. It's a great allegory on the Christian experience, how we journey through this life. And at one point in the story, Christian, who is on a journey to the heavenly city, 
encounters two lions blocking his pathway. The lions are ready to tear to shreds anyone who gets on the pathway to the celestial city, not going to let them through. Christian is fearful, grows increasingly fearful, but slowly presses on. And as he presses on and he gets closer, he discovers that only their growls can reach him. They've been chained by God. The lions can't touch him. He's only battling with the fear of their roar. Fear is the battleground. Faith has many enemies, but one of the greatest enemies of faith is fear. It's the problem. So what is God? God is the giver of peace. What did Jesus promise to the disciples in John chapter 14 when they're talking about his going away and they're afraid? He said, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He doesn't give us fear. Come on, somebody. He gives us peace. It's his promise to us, and we need to let that trust and peace overcome that attack of fear that can destroy us. Our peace and trust and confidence has to be in God. You say, well, how, how do I, I don't, I don't, I don't choose to be afraid. You may not choose to be afraid, but you can choose how you respond to fear. The Bible says, resist the devil, he will flee. All of my ministry, I've heard people say, well, I resisted the devil and he didn't flee. It's because you didn't resist him long enough. The promise is true. You maintain a posture of resistance long enough, keep that pressure, he will give up. If you outlast him, he'll give up and withdraw. And when fear comes against you, what you need to do is begin to push that back and resist that and grab hold of faith and trust in God. Can you do that? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. I've spoken to fear and told it to shut its mouth. I've confessed the promises of God and I'm gonna stand there in my relationship with him. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in that place. You need to resist it and drive it back. That's why Ephesians says to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You need to live in that place of faith. You need to live in that place where you're trusting him. Fear is the problem. Resist it. And fear was blocking their doorway into the resurrection because the stone was already gone. Resist negative or reject negative pressure. Number two, remember your present purpose. Remember your present purpose. What does the angel say to the women after he says, don't be afraid? I don't think the angel's wasting words. I think there's some important things here. What is he saying? Look at this. The angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid. Why? For I know that you are looking for Jesus. Why were they there? They weren't there to be intimidated or see guards or be reactionary to an environment they don't recognize. They were looking for Jesus. So think about that. Without knowing that he's raised from the dead, without knowing the story, without knowing what had happened, their love for Jesus was so great that they wanted to see him. They wanted to see Jesus. And the 
Why, why is the angel saying this? Why is he saying that to them? Do, do they not know why they're there? No, for a moment, in their fear, it seems as though they've lost their way. Seems as though they've lost the direction they were headed and what they were there for, lost sight of the goal. And the angel is saying to them, don't be afraid. Why? Remember why you're here. Remember why you're here. You're here to see Jesus. What does that mean? If you're here to see Jesus, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are going to be right by your side to make sure that those doors open and you get there. And whatever your fear you're dealing with right now, remember our purpose is to see Jesus, to pursue him, to be salt and light in this world and not lose sight of what he's called us to be. The angel is saying, don't forget, don't forget you're here to see Jesus. Remember what you're about. Remember what your purpose is. You're here to see Jesus. Fear can knock you off the path. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'm going to confess a shocking truth in my own personal life there was a time when I was a youth pastor I was young enough to actually interact with teenagers Carol and I were serving as youth pastors and when you're working with youth you try to come up with different things to help them uh, understand spiritual truth I didn't have more hair then but it was a different color it was a different color and so one night trying to teach them about fear one of the things that I did is I got a long plank. It was a two by 10. And all they had to do, the goal was to stand on the plank and walk from one end of that plank to the other. Now, that's not a hard task. Just walk on the plank. Had two or three of them do it. They could walk on the plank. Wasn't a problem at all. Then I released the rest of the youth group and said, you can, your goal is to make them fall off that plank. Now remember, it's just two by 10. They're not gonna get hurt. Fall off the plank. I want, I want you to get them off the plank. The only rule is you can't touch them. You can do anything else, but you can't touch them. You can call them names. You can make them laugh. You can jump across in front of them, but you can't impede their progress and you can't touch them. And so they were all into that, making noise, yelling, swinging their hands, and some of them got the bright idea while they're walking along to go to their face. How many of you would react? If I did that to your face, you'd react, and they'd fall off the, off the plank, and then the next one would come, and they would all be carrying on doing um, everything they could to get them off. Now, remember, even when they do this to you, the rule was they can't touch you. There are a few students that made it. Do you know who made it? The ones who weren't caught up by the distraction or the fear of getting hit in the face. They stepped on that plank, looked <laughs> resolutely at the goal, tuned everything else out, and walked toward it. They remembered what their purpose was. They remembered what their goal was. And when they remembered what their purpose was, they weren't knocked off their pathway. I'm sure you remember the story of Peter in the boat in the storm, and he says to Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. 
And Jesus says, Peter, come. And Peter, other than Jesus, is the only man that ever gets to walk on the water. He's the only one that gets to do that. But what happens, the Bible says, as he's walking, he took his eyes off Jesus and saw the waves and began to sink. Even that's amazing. At that moment, it's the grace of God that he began to sink and didn't drop like a rock. He just begins to sink, and Jesus extends his hand, look at me, what's happening there? Let me put it in this kind of a time frame framework for you. I think what happened there isn't just that he saw the waves and took his eyes off Jesus. He forgot what his purpose was in that moment. He lost sight of what he was doing. What was his purpose? He's he's going to be the only man other than Jesus to walk on water. And as long as he remembers his purpose and stays focused on the master, he's not going to sink. But as soon as he forgets his purpose and thinks I'm just a man and I see the storm, he loses his way and in fear he begins to sink. I'm telling you that if you want to overcome, remember why we're here. Remember what your purpose is. You are a child of God. We're to be salt and light. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's not walk in fear and torment and terror but walk in the power of God and remember we are the we are the church of the most high God remember why we're here remember why we're here this almost feels like church keep seeking Jesus even when you're afraid stay focused on the objective the angels say to them don't be afraid because you've come to see Jesus. (laughs) Woo! I said, the angel said, do not be afraid, for you've come to see Jesus. If you've come to see Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. So reject that negative pressure. Remember your present purpose. And then you need to rely on Jesus' provision. Here's what he says. The angels uh, said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus. That should eliminate your fear. Who was crucified? (laughs) Did Did the angel think they didn't know that had happened? Did the angel think that they needed to be reminded? Do you remember? You're here to see Jesus. you remember he was crucified? Listen, we're standing by a tomb. Of course they're here to see Jesus who was crucified. This wasn't a statement to identify Jesus from other Jesuses. This was a statement to say, remember, you've come to see Jesus, and his death on Calvary did something for you. His crucifixion did something for you. Jesus was crucified. They knew what had happened. In fact, it was that truth that had drawn them there. But they're called to remember his provision. I've had a dialogue with a, um, 
one of our church family recently, and this statement was made in an email exchange. It said, I never feel like I'm good enough. I fail over and over again. How many of you have ever failed? At home, here, how many? Raise your hand. Come on, wave at the screen. You failed. Hold your, That person that didn't raise their hand, go over to them right now. Grab their sleeve and hold their hand up. We have all failed. And aren't you glad <laughs> that our victory doesn't, who? That, that our victory doesn't rest on our ability to be victorious. Our ability rests on the Son of God who died for us, who was crucified for us, who paid the price for us, and out of that we're empowered to have the victory that my future victory will not depend upon my ability to succeed, but for his ability to provide for me. His ability to provide. Remember, he was crucified. It's interesting to me, while I do believe in the power of the resurrection, think about this for a moment. I believe in the power of the resurrection. We ought to celebrate that. But Scripture doesn't ever tell us, give us an ordinance for resurrection. We only have one for crucifixion. While the crucifixion without the resurrection doesn't have the same power, the resurrection without the crucifixion is meaningless. And here's what the crucifixion did. It paid the price. The resurrection empowers the realization of those benefits, but it was his crucifixion that paid the price for you and me. Remember that he was crucified. What does that do? It says, oh, sinner, lost and hopeless, come before Jesus. His blood can make the vilest sinner clean. I believe that's still true, that he washes our sin away, that he makes us new, that he makes us new creatures in him. It puts us in a new relationship. The veil in the temple was rent in two because of the crucifixion that gives us access to come boldly before the throne of grace. The mercy seat was covered with blood so that our sins are not held against us and all that we have rests on the crucifixion empowered by the resurrection. That's why he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. This is my body, this is my blood. Remember the price I paid. When you're afraid, remember he paid the price so that you don't have to be afraid. He paid the price. I was reading a blog that listed four primary benefits of crucifixion. And it cites the events of the crucifixion story. The author first turns your attention to Barabbas and says, remember, Jesus took your place. Second, he says, Jesus took your curse. The law condemned you to die, and he paid that price. Number three, they gambled for his clothes. What did Jesus do? He took your garments of unrighteousness and gave us garments of salvation. He gave us new clothes. And then number four, the veil was torn. He tore heaven open for you. Do you know what that means? Because the veil was rent in two, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's what that means. You can run 
to Jesus. You can run to the altar. You can always find a sustenance there. When? when? When you remember that he was crucified. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be good enough. Just remember, you came to seek Jesus who was crucified. And the price was paid for you. The price was paid for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's where your freedom comes the first challenge of Easter is this fear not do not be afraid how do you do that you reject the negative pressure of the enemy you remember your present purpose we're part of his church and you rely on Jesus provision here's what I believe the world needs to see today. In the midst of all the chaos, the world needs to see a people who live in supernatural peace. Now listen to me closely. I I am not going to stand here and prophesy to you of the place of the coronavirus in end time events. I'm going to tell you this. The Bible prophesies of a beginning of sorrows, birth pangs that will precede the return of the Lord. Could this be part of that? Certainly it could. But right now, I'm hearing Christians who are beginning to panic over even the vaccine that may come in the coronavirus being the mark of the beast. Church, hear me. Prophecy is to watch and be ready, not study and predict. And when you live your life in fear of the mark of the beast, you live your life in the fear of end times, you live your life in fear of the things that are falling on the earth, you're fulfilling the negative aspects of the beginning of sorrows. I don't care where this fits. Why? Because I've chosen to let the peace of God rule in my heart. I've chosen to let the peace of God rule in my heart. That's what this world needs to see. And I believe there are a number of you watching right now that are living in a place of fear. And God wants to liberate you from that fear, move you into a place of supernatural peace so that you can say to this world that's in fear, (laughs) I went to the tomb, saw the stone was rolled away. And the first thing I heard was, do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Right now, wherever you're at, I want to pray for you. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in worship in a moment. But I want to pray for you. In this culture of chronic fear, it's going to steal your mental health and well-being. If you're living in a place of fear, I believe that this is a moment right now that Jesus can break that yoke of bondage. You say, well, pastor, I'm watching right now and I logged back on later and I went to the archive and I'm watching it and it's on Monday. Here's what I know and why I told you about the order of preparing for this. He knew exactly when you would see it. And this word is exactly for you. You're afraid, living in fear, That is not the will of God for your life. It is the will of God that you live in a place of faith.
So I'm going to ask everyone that's, unless you're driving, don't do this if you're driving. Don't close your eyes if you're driving and you're listening to the audio. But wherever you are right now, I want you to close your eyes. And if you're living in fear, I want you to lift a hand toward heaven. And I want you to begin to pray that Jesus will overcome that fear and show you a pathway to put your confidence in him. Reject the fear. Remember why you're here and remember what he's provided for you. Jesus, right now, you see hands raised all over the digital world. You see people raising their hands right now. I pray, God, for a special dispensation of your spirit right on them, right in this moment, that they'd feel your supernatural touch. God, let your Holy Spirit fill the place where they're dwelling right now. And I ask that you would drive fear out of the room. You wouldn't ask us to do something that you wouldn't empower us to do. Do not be afraid. I, I, I ask God for peace. I prophesy peace into that household in Jesus' name. We will accept the challenge of the resurrection and we will walk in faith, not in fear in Jesus' name. In your own way, ask him for that right now. In your own way, ask him for that right now. Pour your heart out to him right now. Ask Jesus to give you peace. You came from heaven's throne Acquainted with our sorrow Greater death we are Your suffering for our freedom The Lamb of God in my place Your blood poured out my sin erased it was my death, you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. My name upon your heart. My shame upon your shoulder The power of sin undone Amen The cross for my salvation
I'm going to live by faith, not by fear. I am not going to be afraid. I will fear no evil. If you're with me wherever you are this morning, lift your hand and just say, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Say it out loud. I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the challenge of the resurrection. He gives us resurrection power. Let's let our world see people who are not afraid walking in supernatural peace. God bless you. Here's an elbow bump. We love you in Jesus' name.